0: Hey, awesome, always great to, to hear people's story of how uh, they're growing and how they're moving to be like Jesus. And that's the series we're in, but before we jump into that, I just wanna say hello and welcome wherever you have gathered to join us across Northwest Georgia and on up into the Tennessee Valley with our two Tennessee campuses, Hickson and Cleveland, our four North Georgia campuses, Ringo, Dalton, Chatsworth, and Calhoun. We are delighted that y'all are with us and that you've gathered here for this uh, this series called Be Like Jesus. Hey, before we push into part, part four of that. Just want to remind you of uh, what I call our most important service of the month because that's when we really seek God's power and seek his presence. We take the Lord's Supper together. Just want to encourage you all six of our venues, all six of our campuses. We have our first Wednesday service coming up. And, and, And just know this, during that service we do something we call a James 5 prayer time where in scripture we're told to have the church through our elders Pray for people who are sick and who are struggling. And so if that describes you, uh, we just want to make sure you know that, hey, every first Wednesday we have prayer for for people who are sick, who are struggling, for people who are standing in the gap, for people who are sick and who are struggling. So if that's you or you know someone, you are welcome to bring them because we believe that God's power and grace and mercy are released through this channel uh, called prayer. And so we'll seek God together for one another, for his glory, and for our six cities and our communities. All right, so uh, just a quick review, right? We all said, we've said, hey, growing up, we always wanted to be like somebody. You know, you want to be like the superstar athlete. You want to be like your mom. You want to be like your grandmother. You wanted to be like somebody, right? And and that's pointing us to something in our soul, a cue in our soul of why we're really here, that God actually created us to be like someone, to reflect his image out into the world, out into creation. Uh, We said no to God and said, God, I'll be my own me. And God, I said, no, yeah, but, but that, we'll make a mess when we do that. And he bought us back and he pursued us to bring us back to our original purpose, his original plan, which was that we would be like him, that we would be like Jesus. And so we've just been on a journey of saying, hey, what was Jesus really like? We're in Luke's gospel. We're in his Galilean ministry when he ministered around the Sea of Galilee. And we're just saying, hey, what is this guy Jesus like? And we said, hey, Jesus is God, so if we ever ask the question, which I have, and I'm sure you might have, what is God like? And he ha- he's like Jesus. And-, and so we're just diving deep in that, and-, and God's doing some amazing things in our small groups and our discussions in my life, and-, and I pray in your life as we move in greater alignment to who God called, created, and died. For us to be so let me start this week with a question that, that you've probably wrestled with or, or is, is the source of anxiety for you and the question is this what would your world or the world look like if everyone got what they deserved you ever thought about that because I, I just I look at news I follow sports and there is a lot of energy expended in the world trying Trying, trying, trying to ensure that people get what they think they deserve or what I think you deserve, right? I mean, how many times, if you're like an NFL fan or a college football fan, how many times when you're watching the recap of the games will they talk about a bad call by an official because when that call was made, somebody didn't get what they deserve? How many of us here, if we're honest, don't raise your hands, just raise it in your heart, right? And we're honest, would say, you know, Matt, I'm a little bit angry and I'm a little bit frustrated, and I'm a little bit bitter, uh, maybe at my spouse, maybe at my boss, maybe at God, because I'm not getting what I think I deserve. And we expend all kinds of energy about that. Now, some of that's legitimate stuff, right? Because it's a, we have a heart for justice, right? And we want to see justice served and done. And that's legitimate. But think about just all the emotions and all the energy that gets spent in the world. All the time we spend complaining or frustrated because we think we're not getting what we deserve. And, and oh, by the way, we think you are getting better than you deserve. And that just bothers us, right? Because there's a general belief, is there not, is there a general belief that my life would be, my life would be better if things were fairer. That's just a general belief. If my boss treated me fairer, life would be better. If my spouse just treated me like I treated him or her fairer, then my life would be better. And you just go around and around. And some of us, you know what, don't we walk away from God on this issue? Because we're like, God, if you're good, then life should be fair or at least fairer. But you don't seem to be too interested in fair or fairer. And so, God, I'm not sure I'm going to be too interested in you. I mean, this is a huge question, right? And a huge deal. I mean, you can even go and inventory your prayer list. And, and sometimes on that prayer list, you'll, you'll realize, man, I am just praying for things that are fairer. And I, I want life to be fairer. But he, here's what we're going to see today in Luke's gospel. We're going to see in Luke's gospel something that, 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 that when I say it, it's going to be kind of, like, I, I don't know if I can believe it, is we're going to see something better than fair. And better than fairer, which, which is counter world, right? It's counter cultural, it's counter my heart, it's counter your heart because we're spending a lot of time worried about fairer and wanting to get what we deserve, right? And, and so the question I just want us to ask is what could be better than fair? What could be better than fair? I mean, we're sitting here and we're like, uh, you know, you, we, we, all of us have this little balance sheet in our, in our hearts and in our minds, plus, 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 minus, minus, minus. But I think I deserve, I think he deserves, I think I deserve better, I think he deserves worse. Or, right? I mean, we just go down that and, and we're just a lot of emotion and a lot of energy is around that. And if we're going to be like Jesus and we're going to see this, Jesus is not interested in this word. And, and it's scandalous, I get that. And, and, and it's like, yeah, but what about, what about? you got to hold on it. And let's just be with Jesus in Luke's gospel, chapter, uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 36. And let's just imagine what could be better than fair. We spend so much time worried about it, we spend so much time pursuing it, we spend so much time thinking about it. We've got negative, toxic emotions because it hadn't happened to us yet, or it didn't happen to us the first go around, or whatever. And here comes Jesus just rocking our world. So, Jesus, what could be better than fair? Luke 7, we start reading in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees, and so when we see Pharisee, we're just going to talk about people who are very religious in their time, in the Jewish religion or Jewish faith, invited Jesus, or invited him to eat with him. So that's the sign, hey, I want to get to know you a little better, sign of something going on. So he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, who was a sinner. Now this means she has a reputation. This means when she walked down the, the street, people, with that, this means, you know, if she were proverbially to walk in the synagogue or the church, everybody would think, oh, the building's going to fall down now, right? I mean, she was a marked woman. She was a notorious woman. She was a known sinner. So, and she knows she's a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. And so she does something rather scandalous or risky or gutsy or bold for her time one she's a woman two she's a sinner so she found out that jesus was reclining at the table in the pharisee's house and now for jesus you can write god because jesus is god he's just god in the flesh and so she found out jesus was reclining at the table in the pharisee's house and so here's what she does she goes right in that's gutsy and bold she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. So she's emotional. She began to wash his feet with her tears. And, and now listen, Jesus at this time, he, he's either some kind of rabbi, maybe he's a prophet. They're not really, everybody's not really sure who the Jesus is and what he is yet. I mean, they're starting to get inclinations or something pretty unique, something pretty special. But he's at least a priest or a great rabbi or a teacher or a prophet. And, and so listen, sinners... And women don't touch the priest, the rabbi, the prophet, much less wash their feet with their hair, much less take an expensive jar of perfume and use it to anoint him. They just don't do things like that. And she's worshiping him. And so she wiped his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. And it's kind of uncomfortable. Now, now here, here's the situation. Let's think about it. This woman knows she's not meeting the standard. This woman knows that she deserves to be cast aside or, or condemned. She's she's not pretending to be innocent. She's not pretending to be better than she is. She's not hiding her sinfulness. She's not playing church, playing religion to look better than she really is. She's not worried about appearances. She's rather undignified. This is rather scandalous. So, so, so here's the question. Okay, if, if, if this woman were driven, like so many of us are driven by what's fair or what's fairer, she wouldn't dare come into the house of the priest or the rabbi or the prophet or whoever Jesus is, he's God. Because, you know, if God were, is interested in fair, if God is, is interested in deserve, is, if God is interested in all those things, then he doesn't let this happen and, and, and he just gives her what's fair, which would be what? Punishment or pronunciation of guilt or condemnation or sentencing or consequence. However you want to phrase it. So, so what is better than fair for this woman? What is better than deserved for this woman? What, what, what is, I mean, if it's all about getting what you deserve and she knows she doesn't deserve anything. What is better than fair for this woman? You know what's better than fair? The possibility of Grace. The possibility of getting better or more than she deserved. The possibility of grace is what she's hoping for. Because I I think you jump into her brain a little bit. And I think Luke gives us this allowance. Because she's, she's added it up in her spirit. She's added it up in her soul, and she's like, you know what? The negatives that I've committed, the things that I've done far outweigh the good. I am not good enough. I, 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 I am not righteous enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not whatever enough. And, and, and so, yeah, I, can, I, I can't. Go, if, if I've got any hope at all, if I've got any hope at all, I can't play the fair card. I can't play the deserved card. I've got to see if God holds a grace card. That's, all I, that's the only play I've got. Now now listen, you've been there too. You just may not realize how much you need the grace card like this woman needed it. Because you've been there too. I mean, all of us, when we when we got caught by our parents, what what did you hope was better than fair? Because you you knew fair would be take the car, take the keys, take the cell phone grounding, whatever, spanking. You you know, that would be fair, but you held out hope that something was better than fair in that moment, right? The possibility of grace. Anybody here gotten pulled over by the police for speeding? And while he's back there doing whatever he's doing, that seems like takes forever. What are you praying? You're not praying he's fair, are you? I mean, you saw it. It was 45 and buddy, you were going 57, right? You saw it. You know. You know. There's a law. You know. so, So back there, you're not like, "Oh God, let him be fair." Oh God, let me get what I deserve. No, you're like, "God, please don't let him be fair. Please let him have a good day. Please, God, could I just have some grace?" So you've been there too, right? Where you knew your parents should, the police could, but you're hoping for something better than fair. Hold that thought. And we'll go in and we'll look at the Pharisee's reaction. So this religious guy is there. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself. Remember, now remember, he's thinking, the Pharisee's thinking, fair is best, fair would be better. This man, speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet. So if he were who he says he were, if he were of God, would know who and what kind of woman this is. And who is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, the implication, and this is kind of in the Greek a little bit, but this if he were a prophet is implying, well, he must not be a prophet because he's not giving this woman what's fair. Now, now, now before, before we like look at the Pharisee and, and kind of give Pharisee what he deserves, now, before we do that, we've all been a little bit like that, right? Because have you ever said to God, have you ever said to God, me, I've got this highlighted, God, if... You're good, or if you're fair, you wouldn't let this happen. And it was a tragedy, it was an injustice, whatever it was, and you've questioned God's godhood because something was happening that you just think or you thought was not fair. So we got better than fair, and we've got fair. And and here's the point. If fair is our focus, this is my prayer. I've been praying this all day, okay? If fair, fair is our focus, we could miss God. If fair is the focus that you're looking at with your life or other people's lives or in your relationship with God or whatever, if fair is your focus, you can miss God. I mean, this guy is eating dinner with God. And because his focus is give her what's fair, give her what she deserves, and Jesus doesn't do it, says, Well, then he must not be God. He must not be of God. He must not be a prophet. And listen, if fair is our focus in life, in living, in our relationships, there's no way we can be like Jesus. Because what's better than fair? Grace. So you got to pull this back now, and we got to let this hit our soul for a minute. So let's dissect this a minute. and Let's talk about this religious guy, the Pharisee, because we're a little bit more like the Pharisee than maybe we know or maybe we care to admit. So we'll dissect this. So when I say a religious person... And and I've told you for 17 years that, hey, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? But a religious person is a person who is sort of into rule writing and score keeping. Religious people, Pharisaical people, Pharisaical spirit, they they write the rules and they, they generally write the rules so that they can keep them, okay? And then feel okay about themselves and then they can relate to God and the world based on what they deserve, or what is, in their opinion, or in their perspective, what is fair. So what a Pharisee does is a Pharisee does, and I think Pharisee is alive and well today, it says Jesus plus something equals I'm good and I deserve. So Jesus plus something. I'm a good person, I go to church, I haven't killed anybody, Jesus plus I was raised in the church, Jesus plus of course I'm a Christian, Jesus plus I I helped someone across the street, Jesus plus I gave to the poor, Jesus plus equals now I'm good, now I deserve, now God give me what's fair. That's the Pharisee. Now there's a new form of that emerging where increasingly in America we're taking out Jesus. And we're just filling in the blank and saying, "Hey, uh, I do what's true. I follow my heart. Uh, I, I, I'm a, I, do the, I, I do what's true for me. I do what I like. I do what feels good. And, and so, I, and I have rights now. I, I just I, I, need, I need to be given what I owe. I need to be given what's due for me. I have rights. Okay. So, so that's that's what we're seeing in, in, in the in the story, and maybe even in our, own, in our own psyche. Now, another a runner. A runner is still a religious person. A runner is someone who knows the rules or perceives to know the rules, and they keep score too. and they just realize, I don't have a chance. And so they just run away from God because they assume, hey, on the God scorecard, there's no reason I could ever go into the, the house that God's in. And so they run from God. They run from church. They run from Christians. They run from anything because they're running from God or, 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 or they're running from the Pharisees' God. How many stories have we heard at Rockbridge? You know, we say all walks of life. We say no perfect people allowed. How many stories have I heard, it's some of your story, of people, And when you talk to them, they're not running from Jesus God, Bible God. They're running from religious God. The religious God who says there's four major commandments and if you break those, there's no hope. Now, what those four are depends on you know, who was teaching at the time or what church you were in at the time. And, and, and so people run away from God, but they really run away from the Pharisee's God. So here's the challenge now. Here's the challenge. Remember, what's better than Pharisees? grace. So the religious person who's keeping score and, and, and judges themselves as a head in the score, right? They see no need for the radical grace of God. They see no need for the radical grace of God. Now, the sinful person who's also keeping score and they will run, they see no chance God could or would accept them. They see no chance. Now, what we have in this story is a woman who knows she's a sinner... Uh, who knows there's people all around her who are keeping score because they've already judged her. They've already condemned her. They've already said she has no hope. But what we see in this story is a woman who says, something's got to be better than fair because if it's not better than fair, there's no hope for me. And so she gives us a different view, and Jesus sides with her. Scandal. So Jesus uses this opportunity to show the heart of God and to show how the heart of God changes us. So he, t- he looks to Simon, the Pharisee, and he says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. When God says that, just listen, okay? Right? Well, I have something to say to you. So he says, say it, teacher. And he tells a little parable, tells a little illustration, tells a story. He says a creditor had two debtors. So someone is, a guy is owed money by two different people. One owed 500 denarii, or denarii and the other 50 So, and again, here's our word, owed. Fair, give me 500. Fair, pay me back 50. Since they could not pay it back, no ability to pay it back, he graciously, there's our word, because what's better than fair? If you owe somebody money and you can't pay it back, you're not sitting there at night praying, God, let him be fair to me. And he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Who's going to love him more? And and, and the answer is the one who has the greater sense of their neediness. The greater sense of their sinfulness. And so Simon, he, he gets it right. He says, well, I suppose the one he forgave more. The one he forgave more. He says, you then have judged correctly, he told him. Now, it's important to make this point before we move on. Jesus is not saying that the woman was more of a sinner than Simon the Pharisee. Her sin looked different than his sin. His sin was self-righteous, religious. Her sin was probably more promiscuous. Okay? Now, God sees both. But what was different about the two is she had a sense of her sinfulness, a sense of her debt load, and Simon thinks he's good enough, he's okay he's covered up. He's, he's all right. And, and so if something is better than fair, grace is better than fair, and we want to move that from the possibility of grace is better than fair to the reality that grace is better than fair, how do we make that move from possibility to reality? We see two things. We see, number one, a creditor who's willing to pay and forgive. When you owe somebody something and they forgive you, they don't cancel. They don't get rid of it. There's still a cost. They just choose to eat it. They just choose to pay it. So we have to have a creditor who's willing to pay and not hold a grudge. We have to have a creditor who's willing to pay the debt or absorb the debt and who's willing to forgive to be reconciled. And what we see emerging in the life of Jesus is he is like the creditor who's willing to pay, and he's going to pay at the price of his life to forgive us so he can have a relationship with us. That Jesus' focus is not on being right. It's on being in relationship. How many of you right now be like Jesus, right? Right? How many of you, your relationships just look look vertically in your life, at your family, at your work, at your work colleagues, at your spouse or whatever? How many of you would just in your soul, would say, "Hey, if I were more focused on the relationship than on being right, the relationship would get better. Be like Jesus, Because when we're focused on being right, we want all this paid up. We want it, it, it to equal out, right? And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm interested in. Now, the second condition of moving from possibility to reality is we need a debtor who's willing to come and receive. There's two debtors in the story. Pharisee, Simon, and the woman who's unnamed. Now, who gets the possibility of grace? Who takes grace from, hey, better than fair to the reality of experiencing grace? The woman, because she's willing to come, and she's not coming to negotiate Have you ever come to church and and thought, man, I'm negotiating with God? Have you ever prayed and said, man, I'm negotiating with God? Have have you ever like, man, I'm going to watch my back. I'm going to watch my P's and Q's. I'm going to say less four-letter words. I'm going to be nicer to my mom or nicer to my wife because you want God to do something for you. And you're trying to negotiate with God. She's not coming to negotiate. Because there is no negotiation. Why is there no negotiation? There's no negotiation because there's no negotiation because she doesn't have the ability to pay. She has a sense of her sinfulness. I don't want any of us tonight, this weekend, to miss this kind of grace. But there's some obstacles that stand in our way. And let me unpack a couple of those obstacles. The first obstacle is what I'm going to call identity amnesia or camouflage. And I'll, I'll explain. Identity, I forget or I camouflage and hide. All right, and here's what we do. Here, here, here's the challenge and what we don't want to embrace. We are natural-born sinners. We start incurring a debt against a holy God from, uh, from an early, early age, and it just comes quite naturally. I don't have to teach my kids to be rebellious. I don't. It just comes out. I have to teach them manners. I have to teach them respect. I don't have to teach them how to sin. It just happens quite naturally because we're natural born sinners. Now, here's what we do. Here's what we do because none of us wants to face rejection. None of us wants to face condemnation. So what we do is we develop something to camouflage our sin or to hide our sin. And we develop a religion to do that. And so we rule right and score keep and it's camouflaging the fact that we're natural born sinners. And as we camouflage it, we start to think, man, I fit in, man, I'm okay. And so we don't really see our need for grace or our need for Jesus or our need for God because we've devised this system and written God and his grace right out of the equation. I think one of the greatest and largest mission fields in America is in the church, Because people walk around thinking, I'm okay because I'm in the church. I was born in the church, so I mean, I've grown up in the church, so I'm a Christian, right? If you're born in a garage, does that make you a car? Right? So religion and a religious spirit's a tool of Satan to make you think okay, to make you think you're fitting in when really you're not dealing with the core problem. Uh, and then another way we have amnesia is we confuse or mistake religious progress for spiritual progress. And that's amnesia. We forget and we mistake what really is going on. So here, let me ask you this. If I were to say, hey, how are you doing in your walk with God? Probably, uh, I, I won't, I, I probably uh, a safe answer would be all of us would start saying, well, How how much am I reading my Bible? Am I regular in church? Am I being nice to people? I mean, we would have our four or five things that somehow we think is making progress with God. And that's really just religious progress because it's really just a version of rule writing and scorekeeping. What we see spiritual progress is in this story is what? Am I more in love with Jesus today than I was yesterday and the day before? And what makes this lady... More in love with God. The fact that she realizes she's a natural born sinner. With no hope. But the possibility that somewhere out there. There's not a religion that's operating on deserve or fair. But that somewhere out there there's a system that's better than fair. And it's called grace. Grace. And that this guy, Jesus, is operating by that system, not by the religious system that has whispered behind her back, condemned her, ignored her, and excluded her her whole life. And so she gets our second identity as a reborn child of grace. Grace. So we have to kind of hold those two in tension, right, and in balance. I'm a natural-born sinner, and I will never graduate from my need for grace. But I'm reborn. I'm a child of grace. And as I'm aware of my sinfulness, I'm amazed at his love. And I'm amazed at his grace. A guy named Tim Keller, pastored up in New York City, he says it this way. He says, the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. But more accepted and loved than you'd ever dared hope. Now, I I just want to say this, okay? We increasingly live in a culture where the first half of the gospel is cut off. It's not popular to say, hey, you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. In fact, what are we saying to people? You're okay, you're good, follow your heart, do whatever feels right, you're owed. You have a right to, but you're more accepted in love than you ever dared hope. John Newton, the guy who was a slave trader, became a pastor and wrote Amazing Grace. Here's what he says. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. The Apostle Paul, guy who wrote half of our New Testament. Before he became a Christian, he murdered and put Christians in prison. And here's how he describes himself. He says, I'm the worst of them. I'm the chief sinner. He never lets go of the sense that I'm a natural-born sinner because the moment you let go of that natural-born sinner, you start letting go of your perceived need for grace, which causes you to diminish the notion of God's love for you and what God did for you on the cross. And then you become religious or you become okay apart from God and you miss God because you're drawn back to this system of what's fair, at least in our perception. Now, the the second obstacle that that we see on this way to better than fair, which is grace, is we'll stop and we'll dwell on deservedness. We'll focus on what they deserve, what I deserve, instead of focusing on Christ. So this woman is a sinner, yet she is so enamored and in love with Jesus, she comes right to him, worships him, and loves him. See, one of our challenges is we sit here and focus on our deservedness, and we miss Jesus, because there's, there's two groups of people here today, right? When I say deservedness, you either are overwhelmed by sin and shame and guilt, and, and so you think, man, I, there is no way I can get to grace because it wouldn't be fair. Well, God's got a system better than fair. Or, you're, you know, you've got a religious spirit, and you're like, man, I'm better. I'm good. I'm making progress. I, I, you know, I, I, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad of a sinner, Who are you focusing on? Yourself. And remember, 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 remember. The key to being like someone is looking at them and being with them. And our focus is on them. It's like the poster in your room growing up. You got up every morning like, wow, I want to be like him. I want to catch footballs like him. You have that picture of your grandfather. Man, I want to have his character. I want to be able to do what he did. We wake up every morning and we're not supposed to dwell on our sin or get proud of our religion. We're supposed to humbly fall to the feet of our Savior King and worship Him and dwell on Him. So, so there, there's, there's kind of two core issues that, that, I, that come up when we talk about this. and with Two issues with one core problem, the issue of self-righteousness, religious spirit, and the issue of self-forgiveness. Self-righteous people, they don't think they need Jesus' grace and righteousness because they've got enough of them their own. Self forgiveness is. There's a lot of people, and I. And I think this this group's growing. There's a lot of people, who, and I heard this just the other day. I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. I, I heard now. Listen, that'll hold you in a straitjacket and keep you from experiencing the depths of God's love. Because what we're saying in both of these issues, self righteousness or self forgiveness, and we'd all lean one or the other. Let me let me stop. Right now, in, in your life, you do your inventory, you, you keep score for just a moment, and you lean one way or another. You, you, you lean, hey, I'm okay, and I'm better than most people, or I'm, I'm better than enough, and probably God grades on the curve, so before God deals with me, He's got a whole lot of other people to deal with. Amen? It's nervous laughter. And then there's another of, group of us, and you, you lean towards self-forgiveness because you're sitting here looking at what you've done. You know how bad it is. You know it ain't pretty. You know God's holding. and you're like, I, I don't know if I can forgive myself. I, I. And, and the problem on both of those is what? The cross doesn't count. The cross doesn't count. The cross doesn't tip the scale and convince us that there's no one self-righteous, and also convince us that God can forgive anyone, and if God can forgive, why are you holding yourself more hostage than God could? Why are you basing your, thing, your relationship with God on fair, when God's basing it on grace? Here's how Paul says it, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will never boast about anything. Now imagine imagine, imagine, imagine. imagine someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, how are you doing spiritually?" and you're ready with your list, right? Church, Bible, small group, all that, and all that's good. God can, God works through all those things, but you're ready with your list, your list, your list, right? Uh, you're keeping score, you're keeping score. Imagine instead he's saying, but by the grace of God, and the only thing I'm boasting in is Jesus died in my place, and I'm just, li- and he's living his life through me more and more every day. He's living his life through me more and more every day, because you know what the world needs, and we're going to get to this later and be like Jesus and as we move on into the fall, do you know what the world needs? It's not more of me and my good stuff. It's more of Christ through me. You know how to make your marriage better? When you show your spouse more of Jesus tomorrow than you did today. You know how to make my kids better? When their dad looks more like Jesus tomorrow than I did this morning. All right, so what are some signs that we're moving toward this better than fair life of Grace. Let's read how the story concludes. Turning to the woman, Jesus says to Simon, "'Do you see this woman? "'I entered your house. "'You gave me no water for my feet, "'but she with her tears has washed my feet "'and wiped them with her hair. "'You gave me no kiss.'" And that would be like a hug or a handshake. In that culture, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. She wasn't self deceived with self righteousness, she wasn't self enslaved because she couldn't forgive herself. But the one who is forgiven little loves little or perceives they don't need to be forgiven that much. Jesus to them is more like, hey, I cut my finger, can I have a Band-Aid? Versus Jesus, I need open heart surgery, I've got problems. Those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So we see two things. There's this unquenchable gratitude. Gratitude. There's this unquenchable gratitude because Jesus paid a debt we could not pay. Jesus treated us better than fair. I mean, honestly, which policeman do you like better? The guy who's like, I got to give you a ticket. Or the guy who said, hey, slow down. Get out of here. Jesus is the one who says, I can't excuse what you did. But I'll pay it for you to give you better than fair, to give you grace. But but, but listen, uh, isn't it easy to focus on what God is not doing over what he has done? Now, let me tell you something. When grace is operating in your heart, when grace is operating in your heart, what God has done always trumps what God is not doing today. Complaining goes down. Bitterness goes down. Anger, frustration, impatience goes down. Gratitude rises up. In your relationships, in your relationships, you're so focused on what God has done And that you didn't deserve it. And God treated you better than fair. So in your relationships there's more of a tone of grace and forgiveness. Of acceptance and love. Than there is of judgment, pride and a haughty spirit. So unquenchable gratitude. And then the last one is this. This is what makes Christianity different from every other religion. We just start living to love God back. He first loved us. And we start living to love God back. That's Christianity. Christianity is not, hey, I, I went to church. Christianity is not, hey, I believe in, in Christmas and Easter. Christianity is not, hey, I read my Bible this morning. Christianity is, I am in a love relationship with the God who loved me better than fair. The God who loved me and gave me better Than fair. So I want to ask you one question and we'll close. Where in your life, where in your relationships, where in your walk, where in your life do you need to move away from fair and toward grace? Some of you have been running from God because what you heard about God or what you think about God is God does fair. And you've been afraid of that reckoning. Would you look at the cross. And would you see. A bloody. Perfect. Sinless. Man. Named Jesus. And would you understand. That that's him. In your place. And he's literally dying. Not to pay you back. But to bring you back. Some of you are carrying around a religious spirit, and you look at people with a little bit of disgust and a little bit of disdain. You may do it because of their behavior. You may do it because of their skin color. You may do it because you're secretly jealous of their success somewhere. And would you move away from that? And would you realize, God doesn't treat us based on fear. God treats us based on Grace. Where do you need to move away from fair and run to grace and give grace? Because your God and my God, He ran from heaven to earth not to wag His finger and tell us what we owe and tell us what we're deserved, not to give us fair, but to give us grace. Would we worship Him? Would we love Him back? because it's better than fair. Let's pray together. Hey, God, just one, one prayer for all of us here. Would you move us from better than fair? Would you move us to grace? Would you move us to amazing love that we can't comprehend? Would you move us from a spirit of judgmentalism to grace? Would you move us, God, from religion to relationship? Would you move us, God, to your cross? Would you move us closer to you? And God, may we spend our lives loving you back. When people say, hey, why do you go to church? We wouldn't say, well, well, because we're in the Bible Belt. We'd say, because I'm in love with Jesus. When people say, why do you give money? to help people because I'm in love with Jesus. When people say, why do you sing songs so passionately? Because I'm in love with Jesus. I'm just loving Him back. And God, when we're tempted to people, treat people based on fear, based on deserve, would you just remind us? Would you just remind us that you didn't treat us as we deserve. You treated us with grace. God, may grace reign in our hearts. May love overflow in worship to you now as we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.